Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. Today's episode brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Coming up today, we have part one of our interview with Rachel Dory. She's the director of advanced performance at York University, but in 2017, she became the youngest member of an NHL analytics team when she joined the New Jersey Devils. So she has a very analytical view, of course, of viewing the game, but great chat with her. She's got a German heritage. So of course, Timmy Superstar comes up in conversation. We get into a whole lot more with her. Really great interview. Hope you guys enjoy it. We also get into our most memorable sends backups goalie friendly show. We draft our own Pillsy and I have a top three handy and a today in sends history featuring maybe the best call I've ever heard from Dean Brown. All that and more. This is the locked on senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Tuesday, October 27th. We'll get to what the meaning of that day was 15 years ago. But Pilsy, should I even tell you how many days it's been since the Sens last played? I love hearing it. Let's let's go. What is it? 230. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. But hey, here we are. Your team every day. Doesn't matter if they haven't played in hundreds of days. We're hundreds of days since the game played, but we got your Daily Sense content right here. Yeah, 117 episodes since that fateful night, March 11th in Los Angeles. Well, it feels like a dream, but here we are, and that's way longer than any backup goalie would go without playing, and well, maybe unless you're Marty Berder's backup those years. He was playing 80 games a season. Just ridiculous. Or imagine being Glenn Hall's backup, one of the most all-time unbreakable records 503 consecutive starts from a goalie. You're basically a water boy. You're not a backup goalie. You're just getting his water uh, (laughs) ready for him. Is it kind of embarrassing that growing up, you know, teachers would always ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would make sure to add the word backup. I'd say I want to be a backup goalie in the NHL. You live the lifestyle. You practice with the boys. You're a complete locker room. Like you just love being around the guys in the locker room. Keep things loose. But Then if you have a bad game, it's like, oh, he hasn't played in a while. So there's a built-in excuse for you too. Yeah. Hey, I love that. Uh, Honestly, for me, the the highest height I want to reach is emergency backup. That's even better. (laughs) You almost have no pressure. And then if you go in there, it's just a fun story. So that's that's what I aspire. You are a little better of a goalie. So I'm going to go one level below you and be the emergency backup. Hey, free ticket to the game, too. Don't, yep. don't uh, forget that. And I'm pretty sure the team provides you with, uh, well, I guess a jersey if you get into the game. Probably not splurging for a pair of pads or anything like that. But some of these goalies that we're about to get into, if you missed off the top, we're about to draft our most memorable backups in Sens history. Not our favorites, per se. We'll do an honorable mentions at the end, but let's get into it. I'll pick first. I'm always nice. I'm always handing it off to you. And I think this one is a slam dunk based on the fact that it's most memorable. And there's nothing more memorable than the Hamburglar run. So I'm taking Andrew Hammond first. 
Pillsy, 21 and two record. Like, how can you argue that? The guy is a legend. Like, there, I don't think there's a single Sens fan out there that would argue there was a better or more memorable backup than Andrew Hammond. Like, that picture you posted of him eating that hamburger coming off right the off ice, the like, ice. that is iconic. That That is – you can't make that stuff up. And it was – it was at a point where I had friends who weren't Sens fans. They weren't even hockey fans. And they were telling me, I'm watching the Ottawa Senators every night. And I was like, yeah, you better. They're going to get another win here with Andrew Hammond on this magical Cinderella story run. And uh, just simpler times. Back we're never, we're never going to see that again. We're nope. never going to see a goalie come in. This guy had a sub-900 save percentage in the AHL when he was brought up. He was the third-string goalie. And he had to go in, of course, Craig Anderson out, then Robin Leonard. That super unfortunate incident that was the, I was going to say the end of Clark MacArthur's career. He obviously had that unbelievable comeback, but it was really what was going to be the biggest blow. You lose two players long-term and it just did not look good. And then Andrew Hammond comes in there 13 points out of the playoffs in February. And they go and clinch the playoffs on the final game of the season on a 20 one and two run just absolutely miraculous whenever i get bored that's one of my go-to youtube searches is just that storyline and the video is just getting more and more intense because at the start they were playing with no pressure and then once they went out to california and went three and oh and hammond put up back-to-back shutouts in anaheim and la then you're like okay maybe we're on to something and then coming home from that trip they stopped in winnipeg and he made probably the best save that he made on that entire run it was a slap shot that missed the net short side. So Hammond's already down. He missed it because obviously it went wide. Then it bounces out from behind the net, and the guy's right there for a tap-in, full splits to get across. And you're like, okay, how crazy can this get? Well, sure enough, it got all the way to the playoffs. That We don't have to get into the playoff part. Of yeah, well, but I want to I touch on that for a second, though, because – that's kind of like we were just talking about, like backup goalies. You feel there's no pressure. Like you're just going out there and playing hockey. If it doesn't work out, you know what? I'm a little rusty. Didn't have the time. I wasn't prepared. But he was just going out there every day and giving it all he got without too much pressure on his mind to start, like you said. And then it got real, and he kept it up. Like that was just legendary. And it's it's too bad that it was just one little segment of legendary playing from Andrew Hammond because if he could have kept that going, that would have been nice. Hey, he earned a three-year extension out of it. And yep. Pilsy, I think it almost adds to the, the amazingness of it that he turned back into a, a pumpkin at, yep. when the clock struck midnight. But for that run, there was nothing more exciting than watching him play. No, nothing at all. And so, yeah, you get the obvious top choice. I'm going to go with the second choice, which actually is fairly similar to the Hammond situation, and that's Mike Condon. Um, Actually, Ross, I found out a little tidbit that I think you all think is interesting. Ironically, Mike Condon's first NHL game was against the Ottawa Senators when Matt O'Connor famously started the season for the Sens. and. It was the first time two goalies made their first NHL start on the same game since 1967. Wow. So that's And that's opening night. Like That's crazy for both teams to roll out these, these brand-new goalies. Condon got the better of them. Obviously, we all know how that went. But, yeah, like you said, Hammond just came in and was – he basically was a savior of the season. Similar situation with Mike Condon. Like, he proved that he could handle more than a backup load. Carey Price ended up missing, like, the whole season. And he, uh, Condon, ended up being the starter. And then Pittsburgh picks him off off waivers. He plays one period for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then the Sens pick him up. And, 
man, did they need Condon badly. That was when Craig Anderson was spending time away from the game to be with his wife and Andrew Hammond was hurt. So they had nobody. And Hammond, sure, he had a better run, but Condon started 27 consecutive games. And we were doing the podcast at that point. And I think uh, we were making a running joke of it. Like, who's starting tonight? Condon. <laughs> Every yeah. 27 straight. That's amazing. He got a shutout in his first game with Ottawa as well against Vancouver. Yep. They, he came in hot. And yeah, like I said, he basically saved that 2016-2017 season. 19-14-6 and six record. I mean, that's not amazing, but it's pretty good. 2.5 uh, goals against average and a 9-14 save percentage. And Russ, here's another tidbit that you're going to love. And you know, it was downhill from there. And the very last Sens memory with Mike Condon was him winning a ridiculous game in Belleville where he let in six <laughs> goals on 23 shots. And Belleville won 7-6. to six. That game was bonkers. Yeah, unbelievable. It was against the Marlies, right? Yep. Yeah, 100%. Wow, that's so funny. Mike Conn, yeah, that 27-game streak, he, he got 13 wins, but it was just a matter of holding the fort. And in that, he had a couple four-game win streaks as well. So just basically the reason why Ottawa was able to go on that playoff run, because without him, he, they don't make it that far. Yep. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit different for my Wait, next also pick. quick, quick mention too, loved his helmet. Great helmet. Oh, the tug nut throwback? Yeah. Yeah, how could you not? That's an unbelievable bucket. Same with the next pick that I have, and I'm going with Yanni Erme. Maybe a bit under-known. I mean, this guy did play for Finland in the Olympics, and for a, for a team like Finland who has goalies and always has, Kippersoff was the starter back then, obviously. But what really, I guess, endeared himself to me was when he fought Felix Potvin. Holy funny was this, because – he couldn't get his glove off. It was like glued to his hand. They're going at it, and he's standing at the bench with his arm in the bench as Potvin is teeing off on him. And Potvin is like 35 years old at this point. And the, the team is just trying to get it off, get it off. Kneeler's on the bench laughing. All the guys are having a great time. He finally gets it off and then just starts punching his helmet. And you're like, well, that's not going to do much. But I thought that was great. He played three years in Ottawa, only played four years in the NHL which was a little surprising to me. But you look at his record, I mean, double the amount of wins than losses and obviously playing on some good teams. But between 2000 and 2002, I always remember Yanni Erme as being a memorable guy. And in a time where those were my kind of formative years with uh, the Ottawa Senators, I would have been eight years old when he started for them, eight to 10 and uh, being a goalie. I think I turned to being a goalie during that time. So always have an affinity for Yanni Erme. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. That's so funny not being able to get your glove off. Like, if you're going to do anything, then try to try to face wash the guy and, like, cut his vision off or something. Like, don't, don't just stand there and expose yourself. That's hilarious. Now, I know we were doing draft style, so I'm going to go a similar kind of pick as yours. More, I'm picking this guy because, like you, he was in my formative years of being a Sens fan and being a goalie. I'm going to go with Alex Ald. And it's kind of funny. Alex Ald had two stints with the Sens. I, we're going to stick to his first trip in 08-09 mostly. He was, he was supposed to be the backup playing behind Martin Gerber. But Martin Gerber had a rough season that year. Actually got claimed by the Leafs on waivers. And then so he ended up splitting duties with Brian Elliott. He had decent numbers. The best numbers of the three of them. 2.47 goals against Savage and a 9-11 save percentage. I think the biggest reason I liked him is... Also, I loved his mask. 
the golden centurion mask he had was so clean and so nice. And Ross, I'm going to hand this tidbit off to you. He was traded for a sixth round pick. Any guess who that sixth round pick was? Yeah, and I want to say that, that that's my favorite part of Alex Ald's stint with <laughs> Ottawa. I wasn't a big fan of, of his bucket either. I, I thought it was a little big. But, I mean, that's nitpicking Alex Ald. Poor guy. He seems like a really good guy, too. Was he the guy who bought all the, the gear for um, the Thunder Bay youth hockey? I want to say it is. Yeah. I'm not sure. Because Matt Murray mentioned it. He was one of the benefactors of oh, that when okay. he was a kid. There you go. So he bought all the kids in that minor hockey system a new blocker and trapper. So wow, that, coming that's full kind of, circle. Exactly. So that is actually the best thing he did when he was in Ottawa. But the second best. I think it was 168th overall that they got for him, and that was Mark Stone. Peace. Yeah, not bad. And then you double down. This is just off the same topic, but talk about ex- expanding your potential for a rebuild. They got a sixth-rounder for Alex Ald. That became Mark Stone. And then they got a seventh-rounder for Alexi Kovalev. That became Ryan Dezingle. Pretty tidy piece of business there. Huge. And, I mean, geez, we're still seeing the benefits of, of those deals, right? Like Eric Brandstrom. Second-round uh, well, pick next year from, yeah, exactly. uh, from Ryan Dezingle as well. So you we turn a seventh-rounder into two seconds and uh, two years or a year of, uh, of Anthony year and a half. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's, that's crazy, actually. That goes right around. All right, uh, you're up now. Okay, I'm going to go with a guy who never performed as you'd like in Ottawa. But what he did in the organization, winning the Calder Cup, for Binghamton as a rookie. And I love his personal story of how he's bettered his life. And now he just earned a $25 million contract. Robin Leonard, the Leonard, as he liked to call himself with the Kraken as his uh, inspiration for that. But a big goalie, a mean goalie, an intimidating presence. And when he was in net, you knew that nobody was going to crash the crease because he was going to give him a stick or two. And I, we should say we're not counting Ray Emery as a backup. When you think of a guy who led a team to a Stanley Cup final, they automatically become a starter. But speaking of finals, Robin Leonard, what he did, and you heard Cody Bass, if you haven't, go download that episode a few months ago, where he was like, man, when this kid came in, you just knew that he was done. He stopped a penalty shot in overtime in an elimination game. This guy has ice in his veins. Absolutely. I love Robin Leonard to this day. I was a big fan of him when he was with the Sens. And yeah, like you said, like, I think if you Google image Robin Leonard, probably the first 10 pictures that are going to come up are his crazy eyes when someone has crashed and entered done something, mask up and just the death stare. And you're like, that Viking is going to kill me. I'm getting off the ice right now. So he was a, he had a mean streak. And I, I like that from goalies. If Like, obviously, most of the time you want your goalies to be calm, cool, and collective. But I like when they have a little emotion and they get fired up. Like, show some passion. Like, show that you're not just a puck stopper. You're fully in this game and you're committed to to beating your opponents any way possible. Uh, Okay, now I'm going to make my pick here, which is, again, connected to your pick. And that's Ben Bishop. It is absolutely wild to think that the Senators had this guy in their system and what would have been if they could have kept him. I mean, obviously, Andy, he he played amazing, and you can't take that away from him. And maybe we're not uh, in the same scenarios without Andy. If we have Bishop, maybe Bishop isn't ready. Who knows? But in hindsight, it would have been great to keep Ben Bishop. And he was traded because, basically, the Sens had three goalies, Andy, Leonard, and Bishop, and he was the odd man out, unfortunately. 
The, the Sens traded for him when Andy cut his hand preparing chicken. We all know that story. And he was traded for a second-round pick, which ended up being Tommy Vanelli for the Blues. Never played an NHL uh-huh. game, so not a big deal there. Yeah. Bishop was the top AHL goalie at the time. He only played 23 games for the Sens, but he had such good numbers. And even in bingo, he was lights out in bingo too. The only I wish Bishop would have had a little more time because my memories of Bishop as a Sen is with the, the all-white helmet. The all-white bucket is what I think of, just a massive goalie. And then we all know how it turned out. They traded him for Corey Conacher, which at the time seemed like an okay move. Conacher was lighting it up as a rookie, but in hindsight, that... Uh, that that's a bad deal. Yeah, that's not a great deal to say the least, un- unfortunately. But hey, Corey Conager didn't have a a pretty big impact in that 2013 playoffs where he scored a game tying goal with 20 seconds left to push it to overtime. Of course, then Turris scores an OT. They go up three one. The rest, as they say, is history. But looking back at Ben Bishop's time, crazy. He only played 23 games for Ottawa, but that second season before getting traded. 13 games, a 922 save percentage. This guy was as advertised. It's a shame that they traded for traded him. But at the same time, you look at St. Louis being like, hey, what were you doing as well? They and traded him. At, he's a hometown guy. Yeah, at 25 years old. That's when goalies are just scratching the surface. So, yeah, I think more blame goes to St. Louis, but doesn't look good for all of Nice. Shift the blame. I like yep. it. Yep. Bad yep. move by St. Louis. Great move by the Sens. <laughs> Hey, to acquire him, it was. And it was a stopgap situation. And you look at how uh, Robin Leonard was developing in the system. I think I, I actually think that that's a really uh, valid way of doing it. You want to give the edge to the guy you drafted and developed. So from that standpoint, I'm happy that Brian Murray chose to keep Leonard over Bishop. There's some arguments that can be made. Maybe you move on from Andy at that point. But then Andy comes back with an unreal season in, uh, in 2017 playoffs. And at that point, you're just like, okay, moot point, still made the right decision. And I think what you really saw from Ben Bishop being the, the odd man out was Brian Murray's character of keeping his own guys. And he felt like Bishop was a piece that was a rental, whereas he drafted, developed, and in Andy's case, resurrected his career. So I think that's a pretty honorable way of going about picking. Now, the return is where you can get really picky on. Yeah, and I agree. And I think at the time, everyone... I think you could you could have traded either one of those three guys and you could have seen where they're coming from. You know, they could have traded Andy, they could have traded Leonard, they could have traded Bishop, and you're like, okay, I see what they're doing here. Hey, look at those backup goalies we just mentioned. Like, what a, what a world for Sens Tendies. It's been a wild ride. Yeah, some honorable mentions, and people were writing in on Twitter, at Sens Central, you can go have your say there. We tweeted out a couple photos, one of them being the Yanni Irme fight where he still has his glove on. And uh, who was it here? Bill Victory writing, whoever the backup was between Rhodes and Tugnut, they had such a good 1A, 1B situation that I don't know if you could call either of them the backup. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. And that's what went into some of my decisions. Like I was, I was thinking about maybe switching Ald for Gerber, but Gerber was never really the, the backup, except I guess sort of that season where Ald was there. But he was never intended to be a backup. So I kind of left him off the list there. Yeah, fair enough. So there you have it, our three most memorable backups. A couple honorable mentions as well. I'll throw out, hmm, Martin Prusak. I was, I was surprised you didn't take him. That's your boy. I know, but it was a matter of him or Yanni Irme. And Yanni Irme as well was nice enough to take a photo of me when I was eight years old. So I think I got a bit of more personal connection from him. But 
I love Marty Prusak. You can't go wrong with him. His stats were ridiculous in Ottawa. I find it funny that both Yanni Irme and Martin Prusak, they, they had such good numbers in Ottawa. And then I think Prusak went to Columbus. I know that Yanni Irme went to Florida. And they just disappeared off the face of the earth right after. So kind of strange. Just shows you how voodoo goalies can be. And that's what makes the, the ones who can stay good for a long period of time like Craig Anderson, even that much more special. But hope you enjoyed that goalie-friendly show. We had to get into it a little bit, just like we have to tell you about Rock Auto. Now, Rock Auto, it's a family business. They serve auto parts, and they've been doing it online for 20 years. You can just go to rockauto.com yourself and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything, everything, I tell you, from engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil. Am I forgetting something? Yep, you can get your new carpet there, too. Hey, whether it's for your classic or daily drive, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks and it's delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, and you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best part, I haven't even gotten to the best part. Can you believe it? The prices, I couldn't. That's because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, right now, and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Just put locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them locked on sent you. You know what some of those backup goalies could have used, especially Andrew Hammond and Mike uh, Condon, who had to support this team for a long stretch of games? I think they would have loved some built go. Built go, helping you break through your wall. If you're not really ready for the day, it's a long day, it's lunchtime, get some built go in you. It's easy to take one and a half ounce packages. You put it in your briefcase for work, put it in your goalie bag for the game, in your golf bag, or just right in your pocket. It's tiny, it fits, and you just rip it open and you can have it right away. Or try putting it on some oatmeal, put it in a protein shake, put it on a granola bar. It goes well with everything. It's like drinking an energy drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. Three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. I went with coconut for my Built Bar flavor last time. I'm sticking with chocolate coconut for Built Go. It's delicious. How does Built Go work so well? I'll tell you. Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is a fast-absorbing protein, so it gets into your system quickly, and it's easy on the stomach. It's not going to make you feel too terrible. Built Go then keeps you going with vitamins, B6, B12. It's loaded with it. Collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. Something Ross could probably use to make him look a little bit better in these mornings. But go to visit BuiltGo.com. Use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. And let's go to our interview with Rachel Dory. She has so many titles that... We can't even keep track of them all. She also helps out at Elite Prospects, so she's got her uh, finger on the pulse of many of the prospects the Sens drafted. I think most of that is in part two tomorrow, so you'll stay tuned for that as well. But just all in all, super interesting person, very down-to-earth. We loved getting to chat with her. So without further ado, here she is, Rachel Dory. 
All right, we now welcome a very special guest, a woman with a diverse background in the hockey world who in 2017 became the youngest person ever on an NHL's analytics team when she was hired by the New Jersey Devils. She's now a master's student at York University, where she also holds the title of Director of Advanced Performance. We miss her video room sessions at The Athletic, but we are happy to introduce Rachel Dory to the Locked On Senators podcast. How are you doing today, Rachel? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, we're happy to have you. And I want to start where I ended off the intro with the video room session. I pulled up one almost three years to the day. And the article is entitled, With Seasoning, Thomas Shabbat Could Develop Into a Well-Rounded Defenseman. I need a three-year update. Has he done enough? Thomas Shabbat is one of easily the top 15 defensemen in the entire NHL. So, yes... The Senators did not screw that up. Thomas Shabbat has developed into a perennial number one defenseman. And I think he's one of the best young defensemen in the league. All right. You've endeared yourself to everyone who's listening right now. You also have another connection to Ottawa, though. In 2015, you were brought in to do a little market research. What exactly transpired there and how did that opportunity come about? So I was in sports management at Laurentian. Um, For anyone who kind of knows what it's called, it's called SPAD. And one of our classes... This program basically prides itself on actually being involved in the sports industry to give you tangible experience. And so in my second year, uh, the Sens came to us and basically said, we want to bring you your students in and, and this is the project we have laid out and we'd like them to come with solutions for us. So um, myself and four other people got in a group. Ironically, those are the four people that I still talk to on a regular basis uh, from school. We did our market research um, and our job was basically to come up with a strategy for ticketing. So there's two parts of it. A strategy for ticketing to bring in more fans to the building that weren't Leaf fans. And the second fold was the Sens have a Red Scarf Union, which is like their official fan club, but they'd kind of gone off to the wayside. So a strategy to bring them back in and make them feel more included. So we did a bunch of research and I don't know if anyone's kind of been to the games in the last couple of years, but the Sens student section um, where they use the buses to bring in people from Algonquin and Carleton and Ottawa, that was us. So we basically went to Ottawa, presented our entire presentation, and they basically looked at us and said, cool, we're implementing this for next year. And I almost passed out because I was like, what? And so they've been using it ever since. Apparently, they have a better relationship with the Red Scarf Union now. But yeah, that Send Student section is kind of something uh, I get to be pretty proud of along with uh, the four other people in my group because that's something that we kind of just handed them on a silver platter and, and they just took it and ran with it. That's awesome. Yeah, we we actually, Ross, we went to a Red Scarf Union event uh, in the playoff run back in 2017. Unfortunately, the Red Scarf Union, they rented out entire bars full of Sens fans in Toronto. It was awesome. We had a fun time, except that was the double overtime game that they lost to Pittsburgh in the Eastern Conference Finals. So not a happy ending, but nonetheless, it was a cool event. So it's kind of cool to see that uh, your idea has gone all that way. Now, Rachel, I want to I want to get into this quickly. Listeners of the show know that I come from a German background because uh, I usually try to give basic German language lessons when we talk about German prospects. I'm talking numbers and simple words, very basic. We know you grew up in Toronto area, but you do have some German heritage, right? Yeah, I actually 
learn German before I learned English. Same with so, me. I was uh, fluent in German as a toddler. Now I can only speak like t- 10 or 20 words. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, most of my family actually is in Germany. So nice. I, there's been times actually where I've been texting my friends, but also my family in Germany. And I've accidentally texted my friends in German because <laughs> I haven't, I've forgotten to switch the conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think in Ottawa, you're going to have kind of an influx of German interest. Like I know my family, um, as soon as Dreisaddle was in Edmonton, they uh, hopped on there. And now that Stutzla is in Ottawa, um, there's going to be an influx of interest there. They're all going to be extremely upset when they figure out that everyone in Canada is too lazy to learn how to pronounce his name or to spell it properly for that matter. And so we've decided on Timmy Superstar. So it's a moot point. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. You could just go with that and that'll work. But yeah, I actually, um, I speak to my father mostly in German, so I'm pretty, uh, pretty brushed up on it. (laughs) Maybe we'll get you on for the language lessons then. That's probably a better idea. I'm in. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. When you, if you ever want to interview him, I'll happily be your translator. Although from what I know about him, um, and I do have some people that, that kind of, uh, know him from his play overseas. Um, he's pretty good at English. That's what I was going to follow up with is when's the first time you heard his name in your NHL circles? Uh, funny enough, I heard him in soccer circles before I heard him in hockey circles. Okay. So I'm pretty intimately familiar with the German football scene. And my cousin was actually coached by Stutzlo's, um old like old soccer coach before he switched to hockey so he knows both of them and so he was like oh like this this kid I was over there last year and I had heard his name kind of intermittently and he told me he's like this kid is he's gonna be so good like all this stuff and so I started looking into him and started watching him like okay there's definitely some fundamental flaws here but this is there's a lot of talent here um so we got into a conversation about him it was really cool um and then he just rocketed up the charts and so i've known about him maybe a little bit longer than a lot of other people in the market but i know scouts have known about him for a while it's just the fact that he had this meteoric rise this year yeah the whole country of germany the development in hockey is really uh on the uprise there so that's uh that's kind of cool that you have that uh long back connection uh, through soccer, not through hockey. That's kind of funny. Now, we know that uh, you've got a lot of knowledge in the analytics in hockey. And uh, I'll be honest, typically on this show, Ross and I tend to lean towards the eye test, mostly because we're just terrible at math and we wouldn't want to try try to use these stats and confuse ourselves. But you're trying to work ways to meet in the middle and explain these stats in a more basic way that people can understand. Would you say that more NHL teams are now working towards finding a balance between the eye test and analytics, or is it still a bit of a struggle? I think there are a few teams where it's super obvious that that's what they're trying to do. Um, I also think that they're the teams that you see are having success. Um, but the problem you have is we still have a lot of like the old guard, right? The guys who were the GMs 10 and 15 years ago, still the gms like i think david poyle's been the gm in nashville their entire he's their only one yeah Yeah. so i think it's still a huge battle because yeah they're trying to incorporate it but in my opinion and and in speaking to a lot of people that kind of are on even both sides they hire people but that doesn't mean that they actually use them and value what they say it's just they hire them and all it is is information like the eye test is information analytics 
statistics. It's information and it's how you use it. So if you don't know how to use it, then there's not really a point. And so I think the teams that figure out how to use it and how to apply it are the teams that are going to have success. Whereas the teams that are kind of like, yeah, we've hired this person, but uh, we don't speak to them at all or rarely. um, I think you're still going to see that disconnect. What do you think is the one area that you can kind of shake hands on and meet in the middle? And I'm saying outside of yelling, shoot on a power play. Goaltending is one of the most important things. So Holy friendly show, both yeah. former goalies, he and I. So we love that answer. Yeah, you can't win without a goaltender. If you're, you can have all of the talent in the world, but if you don't have a guy that can at least league average stop the puck, doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's a there's an old famous saying, show me a good goalie and I'll show you a good coach, right? So that... that show me a bad goalie and I'll show you a fired coach. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it goes. Maybe it's a goaltending stat, but I wanted to know, what's an analytical stat that you feel almost all fans mostly undervalue and should take a better, finer look at? Uh, net front shots. We've and- become fairly familiar with Brady Kachuk. Uh, he's right <laughs> up there at the top of the league. Okay, so it's funny that you mentioned Brady Kachuk because him and William Nylander are seen as two different hockey players in terms of like one's this big, tough, front-of-the-net dude and the other one is this useless, doesn't-try-at-all Swede that everyone wants to trade and if you look at their inner slot shots and goals, they're identical. Near the top of the league, though? Uh, William Nylander scored the most goals from the inner slot in the entire NHL this year. Wow, imagine if Brady Kachuk had Austin Matthews as his center. <laughs> yeah, imagine if Brady Kachuk was playing with somebody other than a Chris dude. Tier- yeah, don't throw Chris Tierney under the bus like that. Mm, Call <laughs> exactly. So I think inner slot shots and rebound shots. So shots off of rebounds. More than likely, there's a well over 50% chance that a shot within two seconds of a rebound uh, is going to go in the back of the net. Okay, that doesn't surprise me too much, but I want to break into that a little bit. How much do you think, and I don't know if there's even a way to calculate it, but the fact that the scramble element becomes a part of the game, and then I guess the odds of anything happening grow? Yeah, so there actually is. So Sport Logic, um, I know TSN uses it a lot now. I basically lived on that website when I was employed by the Devils, and they actually have various things that track exactly what you're asking about. So they could tell you, how many rebound shots and where they came from and then what shots resulted as a result of the the original shot. So you might have a shot that came from the point, but if that caused three shots off of rebounds from the inner slot, then that's a good shot. So there are ways that are, that can calculate it. They're not public because that's not cheap to figure out, right? You need sport logic as an algorithm, right? You're not just going to fire that out there. Um, What I will say is take the stats that the NHL counts with an extreme grain of salt until they get the puck tracking in because I have seen the off-ice officials who track shots and hits and blocks, all that stuff that you see on a game sheet. And I walked in one night and one of them was sorting his Skittles while the New Jersey Devils were on a power play. So that will tell you how much they pay attention and how valuable those stats are based on accuracy. Well, I learned that once the New York Islanders had eight guys in the top 10 in hits. That's when you you start going, hmm, I think Hmm. this might be off a little bit. But how many green Skittles? Uh, Yeah, exactly. Or when you go play at Madison Square Garden and all of a sudden there's like eight more shots per game. 
best goal song in the league though this is true i actually made it a point while i worked in new jersey to go see some rangers games just because yep. the atmosphere there is the hey hey well. hey is, yeah. is lights out i saw kako score in overtime there last season against pittsburgh it was awesome atmosphere even though sid was out of the lineup uh you've been working since you were a kid in video and stats i I read a lot about how you just obsessed over certain things what's the first stat that you obsessed over and as being the most important and has your opinion on that stat changed okay so my parents used to get me this like almanac and i shouldn't say my parents my dad and i could basically recite the the most insane stats. So like, I remember this one time my mom said to me, I was probably about eight. Rachel, you can remember what Yannick Perot's face-off stats are, but you can't remember to put your laundry away. Like, yes, mom. And she would always say like, this is not important. You're never going to need this. And uh, she doesn't say that anymore. So um, I would say the first kind of stat was probably goals, just because that was like the first thing I loved watching Matt Sundin play and so I think goals is kind of the first stat that everyone learns about. We can edit that out and put Daniel Alfredson right over top when you said Matt Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, I actually have a Sens jersey, and I was there when Joe Corvo scored in Buffalo for that series. I have Ray Emery's stick from that game. That's unreal. The, the RBK one, eh? The black background yeah. with the red. I used that growing up. Same one. Yeah. I have that, and I have – I actually have some cool Sens memorabilia. I have a stick that – uh, like a Hoshik stick that's autographed by like him, Chera, Heatley, like Alfie, all those guys. So no way, that's my all-time favorite player, Dominic Asik. That's sweet. He's so cool. But yeah, I would say I started with like goals. That's clearly not the most important thing I look at now. And face-off stats, please, for the love of God, like no. Um, I would say it kind of evolved. I like looking at things like zone entry defense now. So how many controlled entries are you allowing or how many are you getting? And the inner slot shots. I really like to look at that because if someone says, oh, this player doesn't play in the middle of the ice and then I click their inner slot shots and it's all crumpled in front of the net, that would indicate to me that you are not watching the game. So I hear, because I live in Toronto, I hear on these airwaves, William Nylander doesn't play in the middle of the ice. He's a perimeter this, he's this, he's soft, he's this factually incorrect not true right but when you say Brady Kachuk or you say like Eric Carlson when he played for the Sens um oh they're they're Wayne they Simmons if you want to relate back to the Leafs <laughs> that too guy. but when you say like okay Brady Kachuk plays in the middle of the ice of course he plays in the middle of the ice but you are biased to think that way because that's what you've heard you got to look at the stats and say, okay, does he actually play? Because if I tell you, okay, Brady Kachuk plays in the middle of the ice, and then you click his shot map, and he has one shot from the inner slot in the whole year, are you going to think he plays in the middle of the ice? No. Probably not. So I think it's one of those things where you can think anything, what you're conditioned to think, and the stats kind of help you understand what you are and aren't seeing. That's kind of like, don't judge a book by a cover, right? Like you said, like, sure, Brady Kachuk, you automatically assume he's in front of the net. And then uh, we, uh, William Nylander, you're like, oh, no, he's softer, so he's not. But you got you to gotta look past that. And you were talking about how you've obsessed with stats as a kid. Uh, I was reading in the Athletic article that you used to help your dad win his fantasy hockey leagues as a kid. What were, some, <laughs> what were some of the stats that you showed him that helped him? And did the other members of this league know they were getting outsmarted by a 10-year-old? 
Okay, so my dad will attest to this, and he still owes me for this, and I know he's going to hear this, so dad, pay up. Charging interest Uh, on it? I should be, because when I tell you what it is, you're both going to laugh. So the year Artemi Panarin came into the league, his, so his league, let's just, it's not Yahoo Fantasy. You get, you know where Weggs is in Toronto? No. Like, okay, so it's like a sports gambling bar. And every year at the beginning of the year, they all show up with their money, cash, everything. And they do the draft in the room and it's strictly points. There's nothing else. You don't get injuries. There's no waiver wire. There's nothing. You pick your players and you pick your goaltending and how cold goaltending is kept is every, so every point a player gets, you get a point for it. But every goal that your team lets in, it's minus one. So you obviously want teams that don't give up goals. So my dad figured out that like, I know a bunch of stuff. So going into the draft, he would be like, okay, like who are some sleepers that I could get? So the year Panarin came into the league, my dad got him with the last pick overall. My dad won his league that year by 38 points. <laughs> and everyone, so then um, this had been going on for a while. And like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend this is a small money pool. Like this man made bank the year after New Jersey. So it would have been the 2018-19, no, the 2019, yeah, 2018-19 season. I happened to be home and I was still working there. And I showed up to the draft just to kind of like see what it was like. And the amount of heads that turned and went, wait a minute, I feel like this shouldn't be allowed. And like five people came up to me and were like, don't you work for the devils? Like, yeah, I do. And then people started to figure out like, wait a minute, this is his kid. Like, this is how he's been winning. And so they all started bugging my dad. Like, are you going to pay your kid? Like, what's going on here? And contrary to what that story says, he never actually paid me a dime. So, yeah, I would say Panarin was one. I had him take Kucherov the year that Kucherov broke out. I had him take Brady Kachuk in Kachuk's rookie year. Hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part interview with Rachel Dory. Check back in tomorrow for part two. Now we get to our day in Sens history. And there's a couple because, one, timing is everything. And we got to shout out the guy who we get a lot of our uh, this day in history. He's an Ottawa historian. His name is Jim McCauley, at If Jim Don't Know on Twitter. He's great. Every single day he does birthdays and moments in time that need to be remembered. Like when the Ottawa Senators shut out the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2000 on this day in history, it's Yanni Erme from my list of most memorable backups, his first shutout in the National Hockey League. You love it when things work out like that. That worked out perfectly. And man, that is crazy. Thinking it's been 20 years since that like wow and i love the pillows on yanni erme there what a setup yeah the uh, bauer reactor pads with the heat and blocker trapper all black with the 2d jersey but the one with the white stripe in the arm so that's 20 years ago but now we go to 15 years ago and i'm just gonna play the call because dean brown friend of the show he might have the most iconic call on a goal i've ever heard coming down the right side. Good clear by the Senators this time. The forwards waited. And look at that on dress. And then uh, up and over the right shoulder of 
Jose Theodore. It was Sheldon Saray, not Ramey. My fault, folks. And look at this. Right between the legs here. Back end, forehead, back end, boom. All in the span of about three feet. And Jason Spencer comes up with a huge game-winning Maybe the most legendary goal in Sens history. That's why I played it through in the boop, 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 from Gord Wilson. Those two are just unreal together. I can't wait till they're back calling games. Man. So first it was Sheldon Sure. No chance. Thanks for coming out. Little spinner marinky dink. But then Jose Theodore, what's going through your head, Pilsy, if you're the goalie in that situation? Well, I don't know. You're just trying to keep up with the whoop de whoop and you're not ready for the oof. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you can't follow it so uh, I mean I don't care who you have in net there you're not stopping that like what a, like the best way I can describe that is magical like that was so smooth so graceful and you could not think of that move in your you can do that move on Chell if you wanted like that is just legendary and the best part is Pilsy like that was at home in overtime and it put the Sens up to seven and one on the season and going into the game, the Sens were 6-1, and one, and the Habs were 7-2. and two. So it was a battle of two extremely good games. They traded a pair of power play goals each in the second period. Then Ottawa ties it up in the third period, and then cue Jason Spezza. So the Sens come out with the 4-3 win in that game. Just iconic, to say the least. So shout out Jason Spezza. He's a human highlight reel during his time in Ottawa. You think of the end-to-end goal he scored in Vancouver where he did a little dipsy-do similar to that. You think of the assist, well, really the goal he scored off of Kyle Turris in Winnipeg. There's so many moments, but I think this one stands as number one. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And especially because that was just a pure individual effort. Like, there, there's no one there. It's just Spezza. And he's like, what you could have done there is dump and change. But he's like, no, I'm going to make something out of this. And one on three not great odds is a, I, just an unbelievable way to start a, a goal call. And I'm pretty sure that Dean Brown had the exact same lead-in during Alfie's goal to send them to the Stanley Cup Finals. One on three, not great odds. And then Alfie scores. So, Dean, if you're listening, make sure you bring that one back when the Sens need a goal because, hey, it's worked twice in the past. Uh, Pilsy, great show today. Love talking backup tendies with you. Soon, what, you want to do third stringers next show? we got some time before the Sens are playing. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll do uh, all-time emergency backups. We'll do some research. No, no, we, uh, we won't be running out of content anytime soon here on the Locked on Senders podcast. Stay tuned for part two of Rachel Dory tomorrow, but also a special guest later this week. But for now, we say adieu. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked on Senators podcast, your team every day.